We're still in the series called Love to Get It, Hard to Give It. And I came upon some information that caused me to think I need a two-parter for this one topic related to this subject, and it's the topic of friendship. Let me set the scene with a little mini-movie in your brain. Start with an establishing shot of a very fancy restaurant. You can tell it's fancy because they have valet parking, very expensive cars, and they have tiny portions. <laughs> and now let's cut to a slightly tighter shot that reveals three couples, if you're doing your math right, that's six people, seated at a round table in this fancy restaurant. And then we see a slightly tighter shot revealing that every one of these six people are buried in their device and they're not interacting with any of the other human beings at that table. And the question arises, couldn't you be doing that same thing for free at home on your couch rather than paying an exorbitant price for tiny little portions in an expensive restaurant? And that kind of reveals something that has become what many writers are actually referring to as an epidemic. It's an epidemic of loneliness in our country, and it's even worse in some other countries, according to some of the studies that I read. We have more ways than ever to connect with other people, and yet we have less connection. More connections, but fewer human connection. And so, we need to find out what is an antidote to that because if it's an epidemic we should be trying to find something to help with that and certainly the Bible is a good place to go for that it's so practical in helping us live our lives in a better way because we're always better when we're living it God's way and that's what we need to look at the first thing we see is that loneliness this is a kind of a well duh statement but loneliness is unhealthy a segment on NPR's All Things Considered, which I listen to every now and then, just two months ago said that this epidemic carries with it a much higher risk for physiological ailments. Not just psychological, not just relational, but physiological ailments. In this report, a United States Surgeon General recently released a report on the dangers of loneliness and cited several physical results of isolation. And uh, this included 29% increased risk of heart disease, a 32% increased risk of stroke, a 50% increased risk of developing dementia for older adults. And some, as they were looking into this, argued that this all began because of the lockdowns and the isolation forced upon us during the pandemic. And yet, the studies that went back before that showed that over 50% of Americans had already reported measurable loneliness before the pandemic. Which means that it started bad and it just got worse. I think what started already as an epidemic just grew into huge proportions and it became so, so much more evident to all of us, including healthcare professionals. In the article, one suggestion for how to deal with this serious issue of loneliness and isolation, disconnection, is that we, meaning society, need to come up with developing a culture of connection. And I think, okay, good. <laughs> how do you do that? 
That sounded fairly vague, and it had a few suggestions, but I think the scriptures have some things for us that are going to be much more valuable because we need to understand that God created us to thrive, and if we're operating according to what he gives us as a prescription, we're going to thrive. And so we're going to look at that for two weeks because I only have time today to get through a list of the people not to be friends with, and then we're going to look at what to look for in the friends you do want next week, and we're going to put some tools in your tool belt to know how to start connecting more with other people, even if you're an introvert, because we recognize introversion is a thing, and we respect that. Well, we love to get friendship from others, but I have to admit that when I'm discouraged, when I'm in isolation, when I'm lonely, I tend to withdraw into myself more and more, and I don't take the initiative to reach out and build friendship or give friendship to other people. And that's what's been happening to us on a major scale. Bible tells us that loneliness is not good. You know, in the beginning, we see all the things that God created, and he said, it's good. And he created this, that's good. And he created this, that's good. He created all this man and woman stuff, and he goes, that's really good. And the first thing that God pronounces as being not good is isolation or loneliness. God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. Genesis 2.18. So if we are created, and I believe we are, in the image of God, we are relational beings. We have seen that pointed out numerous times that even God, the Trinity, reveals that to us as an example. There are relational beings even within the triune Godhead. We're meant to share relationship with other people on the planet. And I would go so far as to say, and not just through our devices either. It's good that we have them. It's good that we're streaming because there are people who cannot connect physically with other people and they're benefiting from that. So I don't say that all technology is bad. We're on technology. But I'm saying that if we recognize this as an epidemic, we can take steps even if we have to do so through technology to really connect in a way that God says is beneficial to us and that builds us up and helps us to become more healthy beings holistically. There are a couple of different kinds of relationships that develop. Some are circumstantial and some are intentional. Many of the, I would say most, casual relationships that we wind up having are because of our circumstances. We find ourselves thrown together either in school when we're younger or perhaps on the job or maybe in some sort of an extracurricular curricular activity like a, a hobby or sport. Soccer, I made a lot of friends with soccer parents when our son was playing soccer a lot, but those were casual friendships. We didn't become best buddies with any of those parents on the sidelines. They were just casual relationships. Baseball, tennis, pickleball, golf. I, I don't know how you can develop a friend in golf. It's so competitive and you just want to throw your club into the lake, but it happens. Dance, you know, pottery, underwater basket weaving, whatever your thing is, you can develop casual friendships among people in those kinds of things. And that's where we normally would develop casual relationships, but they don't normally really escalate into what I would consider deeper or close friend relationships. Now, here's something important. This is logic. The closest friendships that we form should not come from circumstances. They should come from our choices. And I think we'll see that fleshed out as we look at some of these passages in Scripture today. In romantic comedies, rom-coms, 
Very often there's this trope that we'll see an accidental or circumstantial coming together on two people who have nothing in common, they've never seen each other before, and of course you know that within the first 10 minutes they're going to be falling for each other, and they wind up getting married in the end of the movie. That's not normal. Nor, I would go so far as to say, is it very healthy. It's very rare that that sort of thing can happen and people would still stay together 45 or 50 years later because of a romantic comedy that just happened in real life. Here's a little logic for you too. You cannot be close to everyone. You just can't. It's impossible. You don't have enough time. You don't have enough emotional energy to invest in other people that way. You can't be close to everyone. Fun fact, I checked my Facebook count the other day of friends. You'd be happy to know that I have 755 Facebook friends. That's down by over 50 from pre-pandemic. <laughs> no surprise there. Um, I think we probably all lost some friends during the pandemic, but that's okay. Does that mean that I have a deep and abiding, loyal, long-lasting relationship with all 755 people who are my Facebook friends? No, of course not. In fact, I got to thinking real quick, and a quick calculation shows that I probably only interact on a regular basis, fairly regularly during a week, with about 20 people in my life. And because I've discovered that those 755 Facebook friends are in my way outer circle friends, they don't care if I have a split fingernail. I'm not going to share all of my deepest things with everybody on my 755 friends. In fact, 750 of them don't care. Five of them are probably happy that I got a broken fingernail. We have to learn to be discerning with who we share information with and why so that we're learning to be discerning and wise people biblically in how we're developing friendships and which circles they fall into. That means we need to choose our friends carefully. We should choose my closest friends, I should choose my closest friends extremely carefully because they're going to have the greatest influence on me and I on them. Look what the Bible says about this. There are many passages related to that. Let me give you just one representative verse. It's Proverbs 12, 26. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. You could say, based on the inference of that, that wise people, righteous people, people who are trying to be godly in their lives, choose very carefully who they associate with because if they don't, then the actions of unwise people can become wicked or evil, and it can lead you into those behaviors as well. That seems pretty logical. Well, the reason we want to choose our closest friends wisely is because they influence us the most. And we want that influence to be godly influence or righteous influence, pushing us into living within God's boundaries instead of stepping outside of God's, God's boundaries. Because life is better for those who live within God's boundaries. Let's look at some ways to create a culture of connection and I'll, basically I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you and then I'm going to tell you that and then when we're all done I'll tell you what I just told you. We're going to look at these three areas. Relationships to avoid, relationships to seek, the qualities to look for in other people that you want to move into a deeper relationship in a closer circle and then toward the end of next week we're going to look at some tools in your tool belt that will help us create and maintain healthy relationships and create a culture of connection. And I think that's a challenge for all of us as a church as we're going to redream what we want to be as a church based on what God wants for us. And part of that is going to be 
what things can we intentionalize, can we do intentionally, willfully, that would create a culture of connection, helping people move toward God at the center of their closest friendship. Here's a diagram that I just ripped off and made my own because theirs was kind of coarsely drawn. But it's from a book called My Friends by a guy named Kurt Johnson. He has extensive uh, practical, practical experience as a minister of families in a larger church. There's this first circle. Can you find where you are in this diagram? I hope so. You're right at the center of the diagram. You should know, though, that that does not mean that you are the center of the universe. Some people act like maybe they are, but they're not. You're not the center of the universe, but this is for the purpose of thinking about our friendships. And so for this particular exercise, we're going to put you at the center of this diagram. Your core friends are what come next. The core is a smaller group of people. You have more time for them, but there are fewer core friends. And so you're going to spend a lot more time with this small group of people. They have a much higher level of influence on you than the people at the outer circles. And you're going to have a stronger influence on them too. So that means most of us are going to have a very small number of core friends. We'll see that in how Jesus fleshes this out for us in just a few minutes. Now, you don't have as much time for close friends as you do your core friends, but you do have some close friends. You do have more time for close friends than you do casual friends. You don't have much time at all for the casual friends. I mean, you might pass 70 people in the hallway at school, and some of those might be your casual friends, but the most that you say in any given week might be, hey, how you doing? What's up? And that's about it. You can't develop much of a relationship with, what's up? The smallest number in your core circle, there's the largest number in your close circle, and then the largest or a larger number in your core circle, and then, I'm getting that wrong. The core is the smallest, there's a slightly larger number in your close circle, and then the largest number, like my Facebook friend, 755, in the casual. Okay, you're seeing how that happens? You start with the most influence, you have a little less influence in the center one, and then much less influence on that outer one. Which again, since you have very little influence on those people on Facebook and on uh, Instagram or Reddit or whatever you happen to do, I, I just keep becoming a proponent of this. I see a lot of very unwise people professing to be believers putting out stuff on social media, not thinking about who their core, their close friends, and their uh, casual friends are. And I think that they're really doing more damage than good by putting things out to their casual friends that should be related only to those people that you're trying to influence and have influence on you. Okay, then the casual friends. That's the outer circle. You can have a whole bunch of these, primarily because you just don't have as much time for them. How did Jesus flesh this out for us? We see that in his life. He loved everybody. Jesus loved everybody. He fed 5,000. He trained 120 and sent them out on different missions. He discipled 12, and he really personally mentored three. Jesus spent more time with those people who are going to have greater responsibility and therefore greater influence on the people that they came in contact with. And those three were Peter, James, and John. They were the ones who were there inside Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house where she was healed by Jesus. The rest of them stayed outside. They were there on the Mount of Transfiguration where they got to hear God's voice and see God's glory. 
They were there closer to Jesus than the others in the Garden of Gethsemane that night that Jesus was arrested. Those were the three. So he mentored three very, very personally and spent much more time with those because they were going to have greater influence. I've coined a phrase, and I hope it's not too gross, but it helps me remember it. You need to surround yourself more with inspirational friends than perspirational friends. Let me explain what I mean by that. A part of applying God's wisdom is learning to relate to inspirational people. Those are the people who inspire you each time you interact with them, rather than un investing an unhealthy amount of time on the perspirational people. That's not people who sweat, it's people who make you sweat when you're around them. You get more nervous, more anxious, more angry. There are things that are just toxic in how you relate to folks when you're around those kinds of folks. Now, if we're gonna influence other people for good, we're gonna to have to relate to people like that. And we're gonna be talking a little bit more, perhaps even in two weeks, about how to deal with difficult people. So that doesn't mean that we completely stay away from them, but we don't wanna put those in our inner circle. You shouldn't be spending the most time you have with the people who are the most toxic. That doesn't make sense. Jesus didn't do it and neither should we. A lot of people don't realize that when we're becoming, and I'm just going to use the word addicted to certain behaviors and impulses because that's what all things are. When your brain starts doing something in reaction to something else, you're triggered into a specific response and you have a default. That's where you go every time you hit that trigger. That's an addiction of sorts. Now, it may not be the kind of addiction we tend to think of when we think of addiction, but it's an addiction nevertheless. There are just as much, I think, as strong a factor in terms of your influential friends helping you develop those habits as the biological and other factors there. You're going to have some chemical reactions. You're going to have some biological interactions. But I know a couple of people who have come through AA. They said in their stories, I realized that I didn't have an addiction problem, I had a friend problem. And what they meant by that was, yes, I had a very strong addiction, I admit that, but a lot of what was propelling me into that behavior were people who were basically depending on me to continue that behavior because if I stopped it, that meant they might have to stop or they might have to stop being my friend. It's a pretty common thing and you hear it a lot. And when the people say, when I finally changed my environment and I got around people who were inspiring me to push me up instead of dragging me down, my life got better and I was able to start changing. Well, I think that's exactly what Jesus models for us and how he dealt with people as well. Balanced friendships lower stress. That's a benefit of learning to be wise and discerning in following God's leadership and who we choose to be in our inner circle of friends. It lowers stress. I want you to think for just a second. I'm sure you can all come up with somebody right away. Think of somebody that you consider a friend who, when you're with them, you always walk away feeling better than you did before you saw them. Got somebody? Most of us can come up with somebody right away like that. I was really blessed because in every church I've served, I've had a couple of people that really fit that description. Uh, one of them, Stan Craig, was just so positive. I used to hang out with him once in a while, and he took me down to Ann Arbor, and we were walking around downtown. And he said, ooh, ooh, you got to stop for a second. I got to show you this piece of art. It's in a window over here. And he would point it out, and he would say, look carefully and see if you see something that you probably didn't see the first time you glanced at it. And he waited until I saw it, and I said, oh, look, there's a wolf in the back of those trees there, and you don't see it until your eye focuses on it. He goes, you got it, exactly. Isn't that amazing? Who thought of that? What a brilliant artist. 
and you could spend five minutes with Stan and walk away and feel like, I can conquer the world! Because he had that effect on people. I want to hang around people like Stan Craig because they're influencing us in a positive way, helping us reach for something better in life rather than pulling us down. Balanced friendships lower stress. When we balance our friendships to include more people in our inner circles that are inspiring to us rather than the perspiring type, then life is less stressful for us and we're more inspired and we tend to have more energy to do the things that we're being inspired to do. And I can recognize when I am not doing that because I start to feel really out of sorts and I need to get rebalanced once again. My wife told me one time, she's not here to defend herself because she's in the nursery. She said, you know, I really like it when you play music with your musical friends because when you come home, you're less stressful to be around. Now, I, I don't think she said it quite like that. That may have been the subtext, but that's what I heard. I think what she said was, you're just more positive and you feel like you have more energy. And she's right, because when I was starting to play in a concert band with some other folks, I would go and I would engage a part of my brain that gets excited by trying to read notes and not get them wrong. And then when we finally hit a passage of music that actually sounds musical, about three or four rehearsals into a piece of music, and you go, ooh, that's the way it's supposed to sound. I like that. That's a good one. It starts to excite me in a positive way, and it makes me want to reach for more. Same thing with a golfer, that when they finally, after just, you know, shanking five in a row, and then they finally hit a really good, solid drive straight down the fairway, and it just lofts up there, all of a sudden, your adrenaline starts pumping, and you go, man, I want to hit 17 more just like that. And it's, it inspires you when there's something good that happens is a part of what you're doing. My wife is right, and I think she recognizes something that's a balanced principle for all of us. We need to find how we balance the way God wired us so that we're doing the things we can do that are more inspiring and give us more energy so that we can elevate other people, including ourselves, rather than feeling dragged down. When we do it, it's a beautiful sweet spot. When we're finding our balance, and in some weeks, you might have two or three days in a row where you're feeling more balanced that way. And you wake up and you start to have projects in your mind and you think, oh, I have a couple of goals that I need to set for myself because I want to achieve that. And all of a sudden, instead of wallowing in self-pity, you're doing things that are productive and are helping build yourself and others up. So what becomes necessary if we realize that we're imbalanced and that we're getting pulled down rather than being pulled up or pushed up? We need to have some evaluation, strong personal evaluation time. You might even have to draw out that diagram and write, who are the friends I'm spending the most time with? Am I around the perspirational people too much? Do I need to balance that by pulling away from spending so much time with that person or group and spend more time with the inspirational people in my life? Then you have to make a willful decision. That's called repentance. Mark talked about it, a change of mind which changes direction, and it all starts with your thought process. So what friends should you avoid? Let's spend the last few minutes of today's teaching on what friends should we avoid. And this is a small sampling from Scripture. I chose this based on our typical audience. There are some others, of course, obviously in Scripture, but these are just a few. The Bible has a lot to say on this subject. It's easier to pull somebody down than it is to inspire them to climb. I recognize that because at one point, 
I was standing about three feet up on a ladder and I was trying to help somebody up to get up there with me so we could do something. It's tough. There's gravity. Mean old gravity that just wants to get in the way and it's so easy for them to just grab you and when they're dead weight, it's easy for them to pull you down to where they are. I ran into a, a missionary one time who dealt with people in a third world country and he said, we've recognized that there's this uh, dynamic and people refer to it as the crab bucket mentality. I've mentioned this before. That is, you know, crabs will be in a big bucket and one of them will start to crawl up over on top of others and start to get out to freedom and as they start to get just about over the edge of the bucket, what do the other crabs do? They grab them and pull them right down there. It says, nuh-uh, we don't want you to get out. You're going to stay down here with us. And there's a little bit of that mentality among certain subcultures and even some cultures where somebody doesn't want you to succeed because no, you can't get out of that bucket and so we want to pull them down so you can be with the rest of us. What God does and what he shows us through Christ is that he wants all of us to help other people elevate, to aspire to the things that God has in store for them rather than pulling them down. The, the reason the New Living Translation puts this word friends in this Proverb 18.24 says there are friends, and they put it in quotation marks, who destroy each other. They put that word in quotation marks because anybody who would destroy another person and say they're a friend, they're not really a friend. They're friend in name only, but they're really out there just to do the crab bucket challenge. I'm going to pull you down because I don't want you to succeed. Uh, there's another illustration that comes to mind, and I've used that one a long time ago, and it's the Russian doll mentality. You know what those Russian dolls are? You start with one that's kind of big, you take the top off, and what's inside? Oh, it's another Russian doll. You take that one out, oh look, it's got a top too. You take it off, oh look, there's another one smaller and smaller and smaller until you've got this whole row of Russian dolls and each one fits inside it. And you get some people who have the idea, I'm going to continue to surround myself with people who are smaller than I am, who are not as talented, maybe not as smart as I am, because then I feel like I'm the top dog. The opposite should be true. If you get good employers who want to hire people, you want to hire somebody who's much smarter than you are in certain areas because I'm not as smart in certain areas and I need that to balance me out. I want to hire the people who are better than I am in certain things. A good team leader will hire people who are excellent in different areas rather than always trying to hire the smaller people. And that's so selfless and yet it happens. I read a couple of leadership articles uh, 20 years ago passed along by my friend Ron Potter because he used to help people in leadership that way and he said it's rare to find a team of people who will really applaud other people's successes on your team but when you do that you're inspiring each other to be your best and that's what we can do and we get that when we understand what God's asking us to do within the body of Christ here's some things that we need to avoid let me give you the short list avoid this friend friend number one people who like to argue. Some people see arguing as a sport. They're, they're energized by picking a fight. They just love to always stir up trouble because they feel like, oh good, we've got something going now. They aren't happy unless they're in the middle of some argument somewhere. At one workplace, not my own, I was peering into it because I had regular involvement with somebody who worked at that place and so I got feedback often there were a couple of people who were like that. They were so argumentative and they would destroy each other. They were constantly 
pecking at each other and pulling each other down and cutting each other down, trying to one-up the other person. They weren't there to help other people succeed at all. And it was creating a toxic environment for everybody in that workplace. They destroyed one another. Eventually, one of them tried to pull the ploy where they said, okay, I've got somebody over here who wants to hire me, but I'd be happy to stick around if you'll match their salary and give me a salary boost. And one of those toxic individuals just said, can't do it, sorry, glad you got another job, bye. And so one of them finally left. It took another year before the other person left. They were toxic, and it brought the whole agency down. We want to avoid people like that, people who constantly love to argue. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't put forward a decent argument if we're going to make our case for something. That doesn't mean we need yes people all around us all the time. I don't even agree with myself sometimes. So we know that we're not going to find people who agree on all the things. But I'm talking about these belligerent, argumentative, always for the sake of just stirring up trouble kinds of people who never come to consensus and always just like to stir up stuff. I remember one person in our local community who showed up at a zoning meeting way back when we first got our church property and we had to tell them what our plans were and they could approve it for a church or not. And he stood up and spoke against a church in his backyard because he thought it would be so detrimental to the neighborhood. Even though we had brought several articles that showed that it's really healthy for a neighborhood to have a good local church. And we said, well, do you go to church? He said, yeah, oh yeah, but I drive all the way over to this other community to go to church. So it was okay for him to go and mess up that other community. <laughs> but he didn't want a church in his backyard. So he, he stood and he spoke and as we had been instructed, and as I instructed other people, we just prayed for him and kept our mouths shut. And we finished the meeting. They passed the zoning, no problem. But one person caught me after that meeting, meeting and she showed up and she said, you know, I'm a part of a homeowners association and this guy's on the board. And I gotta tell you, don't worry about him. You just let that stuff roll right off because he is this way in every meeting I have ever been to. <laughs> and my father-in-law used to have this saying that says, no matter where you go, there you are. So I suspect that when this guy moved out of our neighborhood into another neighborhood, into a different community, he probably took that same attitude with him into the new community. And other people are now privileged to be around that kind of attitude. Well, the Bible just tells us flat out, we're not supposed to make those kinds of people a part of our inner circle or our core friends. We just shouldn't. Any fool can start arguments, says Proverb 23. The honorable thing is to stay out of them. That's why some of the tools that we're going to look at for our tool belt next week are going to help us learn how to avoid an argument by turning something into a productive conversation so that we can each learn and move toward consensus. One wise woman at another workplace uh, recognized that there was this kind of contention happening at the lunchroom and it was just pick, 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 all that kind of stuff. So she thought, you know, I find that when I go back to work after lunch, I don't feel very positive. So what she did was, she said, these are not my inner circle friends. I don't have to be their best friends. So she just removed herself and she would either go for a walk in a park and eat a sandwich, or she would go sit in her car, drive out and look at some water on a nice day, and maybe take her lunch up to her office and eat apart from the other folks. And she was honest with them when they said, how come you don't eat lunch with us anymore? She said, because I just need the time to recharge and I don't feel charged up again after I've been eating lunch with other people. And that was honest. She wasn't hurtful about it. 
but she removed herself from the presence of people that were dragging her down because she recognized I have a choice to make and I don't have to subject myself to that if it's pulling me down. Another one we're supposed to avoid, people who gossip. And this is where I think, uh-oh, it's like that old, old South preacher and they said, oh, he's stopped preaching and gone to meddling now. Maybe I've just lost a bunch of friends. I don't know, you can unfriend me on Facebook if you want. <laughs> I'm down to 40, that's right. From 755 to 40, just in one message, bang. But let me describe to you what I think a real gossip is compared with what somebody is like when they're trying to be constructive, because this is kind of important. Gossipers are people who share damaging information about somebody else behind their back. They sabotage relationships and they're neither part of the problem nor are they part of the solution. That's the important part of the definition here. They're not involved in the conflict that they're talking about. If they were, they should go straight to that person and work it out. Just like the Bible tells us in the book of Matthew. But they're neither part of the problem nor are they part of the solution. They just love to share juicy tidbits because they love watching other people squirm and get into situations like that. There's a difference between that kind of person and a person who's talking openly with people who can do something to make something better. Now, in ministry, a lot of us who are ministry leaders will have to have these tough conversations and say, what can we do to help this person resolve this conflict? What's the best thing at our disposal? Let's seek godly, discerning wisdom. What things led up to that? We need to be aware of that. What things triggered the response that they had? And then how can we find forgiveness and help them to move forward positively and find something positive on the other end of this, this conflict right now? That's a very different thing than somebody who just says, oh, I heard a juicy one this week. And then they just go, and go to town on that stuff. Here's what the Bible says about that kind of person. Stay away from gossips. They tell everything. Proverb 2019. And by everything, that means anything, whether it's true or not. They're not discerning enough to go for the facts and find out if what they heard in the rumor actually is true or not. That's where all these rom-com movies come up with all these terrible things that eventually get resolved and the two people can get back together again. Somebody says something that they heard thinking that it was the right thing to say and it wasn't and then other people hear it and they build it up. They say, well, you know what I heard? And pretty soon there's defamation of character happening. You're destroying another person's character even though what's being said is not accurate. And the Bible says stay away from that. Here's a little advice for all of us. If we hear somebody that comes to us and they say, oh, you know what I heard? We could raise our hand and say, I'd rather not hear that. I don't mean to be rude, but if, you don't, if you're not a part of the conflict and if you're not trying to be a part of the solution, I'd rather you just kept that to yourself. I really don't want to know that. That's hard to say because even that feels like a conflict but it's the right thing to do. And we're supposed to avoid that in ourselves if we feel like the words are coming out of our mouths. I probably shouldn't say this, but the Holy Spirit should be having a siren going off right there that goes, whoop, 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 then don't. You should hear the Holy Spirit with a megaphone going, then don't. We need to avoid that and we need to avoid people who do. They share everything, whether it's true, whether it's tactful, or whether it's well-timed. You remember the three T's, if it's true, tactful and well-timed, then maybe we need to share it for the purpose of resolving a conflict. Those are good principles and they're godly principles. But if it's not true or if we're not sure it is, 
or if it's not tactful and if we're just trying to blow something out of the water, don't do it. So we're supposed to avoid that kind of people, especially in our inner circle friendships. The third kind of person to avoid, and this is uh, about all the time. No, we got, we got another one down the, the road. We got two more. Uh, avoid this person. People who don't control their temper. People who do not control their temper. Now, I won't have a raise of hands because if I did, I'm sure we could get 100% participation on this one to say, has anybody ever lost their temper? And I'd be right in there in, in the mix. We all lose our temper once in a while. We do, because we're all emotional people. We're given emotions. But I'm talking about this person who has no leash. They let the leash out on themselves. They're given to explosive temper all the time, and they don't see anything wrong with that. That's the kind of person we're talking about here. People who just, they're a rageaholic. They should not be your closest friend. All of us get angry, and when we do, we need to examine, how did I handle that? And if I didn't handle it well, what should I do differently next time? Did I hurt somebody with my temper? If so, I need to go and apologize. I need to make it right. I've got to rebuild a relationship because God doesn't want any of us cutting apart relationships, especially within the body of Christ. That means many of us have some soul searching to do each time we have lost our temper. And that ought to be an ongoing thing. It's a part of our transforming process, the sanctification that God has for us. But a person who, con person who constantly flies off the handle and just doesn't care and says, well, it needed to be said, you don't want that person in your close circle of friends. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person, says Proverbs 22, 24, and 25. Don't associate with one easily angered. That's that short-fused person. Or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared, which means that you hang around them so often that you too also let your leash out and you have no interest in going back the way you used to be and trying to control it. Since the fruit of the Spirit includes self-control, these people are going without self-control and they need to start building self-control into their life by allowing God to be that filter that they listen to before they just let their anger go so often. Oh yeah, that is the, the third. That's the third person. We just had time for three today. So those are the people the Bible tells us we should avoid. And I think that's smart. It just makes sense. So for now, let's pray that God is going to start giving us some discernment through the Holy Spirit to help us evaluate our circles of friendships and see if there are any changes that might need to be made so we can become more balanced, so that we're not feeling pulled down all the time, but we're feeling inspired to be elevated and pushed up to rise to what God has in store for us and his potential for us. God says in his word that we can ask him for wisdom and he'll give it to us. James 1.5, but if any of you lack wisdom, you should pray to God and he will give it to you. And that's what we're going to ask for. And that includes wisdom in choosing our friends and where they fit in our friendship circles so that we can react appropriately depending on which circle they fall into. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for giving us wisdom when we ask you for it. We need it. In this world where isolation and loneliness is at an all-time high, we need this, and we need to start learning how we can develop a culture of connection, and we want to do that. So that people who connect with us are somehow elevated. They feel inspired instead of making them sweat every time we're around them. May we be the type of people who can inspire others when they're in our presence so they can see Christ more clearly 
And so they can know that they need him most of all because it's Jesus at the center of our life that allows us to find this kind of balance and this kind of energy level and inspiration. And we pray for all those things so that we can reflect your glory more readily. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.